You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got uh, John Paul and Stephen taking your calls today. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you at 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp the programme as well to 0862 103 103. But let us start this morning by returning to yesterday when the news came that the judge had to discharge the jury in the case of a man charged with dangerous driving causing the death of uh, GA commentator Paddy Palmer, news journalist. Olivia Kelleher was in court and Olivia joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Olivia. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose take us back to yesterday. How did this mistrial come about? What happened, and and firstly, my condolences to all your team at the loss of Paddy Palmer. I believe he was very much loved by you all and in the community in general. But what happened on yesterday morning was that on Friday, the jury were sent out to deliberate and to come to their verdict. Um, They didn't come back with a verdict on Friday and they resumed their deliberations yesterday morning morning about 10 o'clock. Shortly before lunchtime, uh, guard Paul Jones, he was the guard of Patricia who was um, in charge of the jury, he was the jury minder. He asked uh, to address the judge and he told the judge that when he was going through the jury room, he overheard a conversation among the jurors. What had happened was that one of the jurors um, was had decided to visit the crash site in in Shannon over the weekend and um, you know yourself if you go out to a crash site you form opinions and you start telling people what your opinions are and all of that information is very prejudicial and um, the jurors are always told only rely on what you hear in the court so the judge had no choice it, it wouldn't have been a fair trial he had no choice but to discharge the jury. Was he? Did he sound very annoyed, the judge? He was very annoyed because um, it's a devastating thing to happen for any family who have sat through a week of evidence. It's also very, you know, difficult for an accused person who's on trial. All the work that goes into these cases. Um, at the start of any trial, Patricia, as you know, they they do give jurors warnings about. Um, you you don't even discuss the case with your family members. You go home and you say, I'm at a trial. You can't say any more than that. Mm. All through the case, they're told at lunchtime, go out, talk about Coronation Street, talk about whatever. Do not talk about the trial. Uh, don't go on social media. You just have to be so careful that, you know, it, you can pick up all sorts of things. If you look elsewhere, you can get different impressions about things that can be incorrect so you can only come to your verdict based on on what you hear in in the courtroom and unfortunately I'm sure this poor person probably feels awful as well in his misguided attempt he he thought he was doing well but it was it just ruined the case yeah because he decided to go to the crash site because the one thing you can't do is you can't do your own investigation that's not part of your role yeah yeah Yeah. when the news broke yesterday Olivia I have to say I straight away thought of um, Paddy's wife Colette and and, and the girls Um, because it's been tough for them hasn't it having to listen to all the evidence and um, at the time I to be honest I was so busy trying to keep up I don't have short and I was right 
sitting away and I was sitting at the front, so I didn't see the reaction of, of the poor family. But I can only imagine just how upsetting it is because, do you know, I suppose the likes of me are in and out of court all the time. And for families coming in, they they have invariably lost somebody and they're listening to evidence about their loved one. And it's all very sensitive and it's very, you know, it's a difficult process for any family to go through. And when the jury go out, you say to yourself, OK, we're finally, you know, we're ne- this is nearly over. And then for it to fall, for a case to, to collapse at, at this stage, for a case to collapse at any time is difficult. But for it to collapse when it's nearly over is, is, it's is even more beyond s- difficult. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so what happens now, Olivia? What happens now is, I suppose, technically the case is in limbo for the moment. Now, it'll go back to the DPP and a decision will be made about whether there's a retrial um, or not. But as it stands, it just hangs in the air, but it'll be determined at a later date, Patricia. And the, but, and uh, the, and the, the accused? I, I don't know if I'm able to say anything about okay. that for legal reasons, okay. but um, it's also, there's also an uncertainty, uh, you know, for, for that person as well as to w- w- where it goes, where from it goes here. from now. Okay. Yeah. So if but, there, if and if there, if the DPP comes back and decides says yes, there'll be a retrial. DPP uh, will come back. The DPP will probably come back with a retrial, but you, you, I suppose you never, you know, it, I, I'm not the DPP and I can't direct that, but you just we'll see where it goes from there. But what, could that be the end of the year? Is um, there any timeline on that? Know. No, no. It depends on their court um, backlog okay. as, as to when as when it is. Um, it, it probably will be, I okay. would imagine, it will be several months at the least. Okay. But I suppose just for anybody who is going on a jury, um, we're all kind of, you know, I suppose we all watch Netflix, true crime, this and that. And we people kind of can fancy themselves as solving things from watching TV. And, you know, this isn't TV. This this, this is somebody's real, real, real lives, you know. Yeah. And um, as you say, the jury member, you know, he didn't set out to do anything wrong, thought he, he was doing the right thing, there was, unfortunately. There was absolutely nothing malicious in it. And you could see how somebody's train of thought would go. They thought, I'm sure I'll go for a drive out there and take a look. Yeah, but yeah. You can't. You can't do you that. Can't. No, you, you can't. Know, All right. It's very unfortunate. All right. Listen, Olivia, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for Thank joining us. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. And, and happy World Radio Day. PJ was saying that it's World Radio Day. Oh, is it? Day, <laughs> it is, it is. Well, so thank you for that. <laughs> thanks, thanks a million. Bye-bye. 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 That is uh, Olivia Keller. Um, uh, news journalist uh, joining us uh, just talking about uh, that case uh, involving our own party Palmer but uh, it's gone it is a mistrial we now await the uh, DPP email Cork today at c103.ie I don't know how many people uh, sat down and watched the uh, state funeral of uh, John Bruton on Saturday I don't know what it is about state funerals they're, 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 they're so dignified and so respectful and there's something incredibly emotional and special about state funerals I can never quite put my uh, finger on it and it was just beautiful singing in the church and I love the fact even though it was a state funeral it was very much about John Bruton's wife his children uh, and his grandchildren and 
Anthony's extended family it was kept very much like a family funeral and uh, Michael has texted in this morning about uh, John Bruton saying many statements have been made in the doll, indeed at the funeral mass and the graveside at the weekend by many friends and dignitaries who showed the enormous respect and regards all parties held him in which has been well documented. Overall embedded in those statements was something that was very important to John Bruton which was his religion. His religion was extremely important to him. It was something he always found time for no matter what part of the globe he was in and what matters was pressing. His religion was never forgotten. His strength of faith was rewarded by the good weather over his funeral days says Michael. Always remember that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Rest in peace John and that's from Michael and Castletown Bear. Thank you for that Michael. Actually just staying on Fine Gael I saw a tweet that went out from a Fine Gael senator. It's Barry Ward. He's in the Dunleary Black Rock uh, area of Dublin. And it is a photograph of, I'm assuming it's his local Lidl in that area. And it is the Lidl's reverse vending machine. And most of these reverse vending machines are sort of on the way in to a lot of the premises. I mean, many of the shops actually have them in like a porch area of the actual shop. But anyway, it's a picture of the two reverse, your typical reverse vending machines now that we're all getting so used to seeing and using, I'm assuming. But this picture has stacks of discarded plastic bottles, including at least three large, two large black plastic bags and one clear plastic bag full of bottles and I'm assuming there's cans in there and then all around you know what always happens if somebody leaves a bag of rubbish anywhere people seem to think oh it's okay to leave rubbish there so somebody obviously started it by leaving a bag of plastic bottles and then loads of people put in their plastic bottles beside it now I'm assuming that all of these plastic bottles they don't have a deposit on them they're either ones that were bought before the return logo came in before people paid a deposit on them I can see in the picture that some of them are squashed and of course we're told do not squash your bottles or cans because if you squash your bottles or cans the machine is not going to be able to read the barcode or the return logo and it has to pick up on the barcode and the return logo in order to give you back your deposit. And we knew in the early days of this that there would be, I mean, in all of our homes, we're going to have a mixture of bottles that we've paid the deposit on and ones that we haven't paid the deposit on. And of course, when you go back to the machine to put it into the reverse vending machine, it will spit back the ones that you didn't pay a deposit on. These machines are very clever. They're able to read the return logo or they're able to read the barcode. So it will send it back to you. You're not going to be able to get a deposit on a bottle that you didn't either pay the 15 cent or the 25 cent and some people obviously are going along. We heard of people who had been collecting up bottles uh, and cans in advance of the 1st of February, thinking that they were going to make a little bit of money. But of course, we know that that is not going to happen. The reverse vending machine simply will not accept cans and bottles that you haven't paid a deposit on. But please, if you go to the, one of these machines and you have got some bottles or cans that you thought you paid a deposit on and you didn't, will you please bring them home and recycle them responsibly? But leaving them dumped like that is really crazy and I'm assuming it's a site we're going to see a lot more of and it will be a site we'll see up until at least I think they say the 1st of June it's going to be the 1st of June before every single bottle and can on sale will have the return logo so in between 
between now and then they're getting rid of old stock and of course people will have bought uh, bottles that they'll already have in their homes that they would have purchased before the 1st of uh, February. So please if you do get mixed up and you do bring bottles that don't have a deposit on it, don't leave them stacked up. It just looks it looks so untidy. 0818 103 103. I I haven't heard of anybody thankfully having problems. Is everybody getting their money back? I haven't haven't used the return to get a deposit back. I used one of these reverse spending machines when they were being trialled last year worked very uh, successfully but I haven't I haven't enough bottles yet to bring back to put into these machines to get my deposit back but I'm, I'm assuming people are using them and is everything going okay and are you getting your deposit back and has anybody had any problems with the reverse vending machines? The school transport scheme review commenced this month three years ago in 2021 and last month internal records of the Department of Education stated that the review was completed but yet it's still hasn't been published. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard is now concerned about the delay in releasing the findings of the review and he joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Would it be unusual that a review would be complete and three weeks later no publication? Is, is that the norm? Uh, very unusual in many ways. Like Obviously, the, the department take a time to look at it, but it's the time-sensitive nature is the big issue here. Like We're looking at a scenario that we're going to have applications for a school transport year for 2024-25 opening the next few days and then closing in the 20th of April. So my major problem here is unless we actually have the terms, conditions of what the minister is proposing in the next few days, we're stuck with a scenario that we're stuck with the old scheme for next year. And like this has been a three-year review. There's literally children who are probably going to be starting first or second year will not see a new school transportation scheme before they actually leave school because we're probably looking at the year 25-26 now that the actual new scheme, which I haven't seen any light of yet, could be actually enacted. And we all know the current situation. It it's, is just, it's, it's not working. It's not working. And, and, the, and just on the point, the three years to complete the review... Was it always expected to take that long? I was expecting three months. I was not expecting three years. Like, I was expecting this is going to be a short-term review, look at the key issues, talking to the stakeholders, submissions were made. We made a real significant submission here regarding it, and we thought they'd take them on board, come back and look at it. Three years to look at any proposal is totally out of line with everything that's happening in society. So um, I just do not understand how it took so long. And in particular, because it's such a sensitive issue. Like, if you look at this from the climate change point of view, like we can do so much very quickly to get cars off the road. We can really change and modernise our actual transportation system. And we've done that in the public transportation by changing fares, which has worked very well. But, like, that's why we actually needed to move very quickly. But, like, the big issue here is be families that need to have a fit-for-purpose school transportation scheme and families are struggling because they can't get their loved ones to school. And they're now in shared work arrangements and other arrangements with neighbours because they're caught in the limit that they might have a school bus ticket for this year, they might lose it for next year and have it again the year after. And that's a huge issue for so many, so many families out there. Yeah, and it's the anxiety, Tim, that this causes every single year, as you know only too well, because you hear from a lot of those uh, concerned parents, as indeed I think I take every single public, uh, um, publicly elected representative will get calls in if, they're, if they have in any way constituents uh, in a rural uh, area. And it just seems so unfair, as you said, that it has gone on for three years. And you've been, in fairness to you, like a dog with a bone 
about this. I mean, you've been asking, you were asking across those three years what, why it was taking so long. Did you ever get any answers? Oh, we got very little answers. In fact, we got a midterm review that happened literally after a year and a half of the report, which brought in, you know, minor changes, which really weren't changes. Like, I think the changes that were proposed weren't enacted by Bus Aaron. So there's been no real change in the scheme in the last three years itself. And it's just a frustration. And I think that's why I'm raising it, because I have parents on to still literally in the month of February who didn't get a school ticket in, in September. And they've give it up probably for this year, but there are big issues for next year and what will happen next year. And, like, we have huge issues there in society. People generally want to work. They generally want to, you know, be involved in their communities. And because of the actual chaos regarding the school transportation scheme, and it's complete chaos, how we actually can actually move forward is the question. And I have no real light at the end of the tunnel when you look at the new scheme for next year. Next up, like, literally on the... Is it the 20th of April? We'll have the closure of the scheme for 2024 2025. So that means we're goosed for next year then. So next September, next, I bet you next August, I'll be on the phone to you and we'll be talking about places like Ballinine in a scheme, places like Ballin Spittle, places like Manar Bridge, which are crossroads between schools. The first, second school principal will kick in and they won't have a school bus. Yeah, and that's going to be yeah and, and I know last month when we heard that it was complete and I think everyone was, you know, sigh of relief saying, thank God it's finally complete. The one thing that did come out was uh, the cost. Uh, it's almost 340 million. That was the cost for 2022-2023, according to that uh, review. Is, is money an issue or is that good value for money? I don't think, I think it's really good value for money. And I think the cost, I think parents will pay uh, a sub towards that. I think traditionally they always did. There was a change over COVID. Like, I don't think cost is the big issue here. Like, the, the real issue is having a natural transportation scheme. And I think if you look at where we need to actually p- push this, there's going to be a capacity issue if they extend it. But they can fix that capacity in, um, issue by changing the actual regulations that the department know that bus Aaron have. So bus here have this regulation that if you're over 70, you can't drive a bus. But if you're a private operator working for a school, taking the school class to a soccer match, you can be over Mm -hmm. 70. So we can change those regulations to fix capacity. There is capacity within the actual bus service itself to actually pick up what we need. So we do have a competent and capable bus service. But I keep on talking about the day that the, the school isn't sitting. Our villages and towns flow so smoothly because we don't have the hundreds of cars going through that don't need to be going through. If we're to think of this in a logical way, we should be promoting and encouraging people to get on the school buses. And the knock-on implication for environment, for society and for our people is huge. So I think it's a really good investment. Well, anyone who gets stuck in traffic at drop-off and pick-up of school times will tell you this week is, is a breeze because it's midterm in a lot of the schools and people go, oh, great, sigh of relief, I've got a bit, a, a bit of a breather for this week. But we'll be back to square one again next week with all of the cars back out on the ro- roads. And, of course, outside of rural connectivity, the school bus is vital to support the labour market, isn't it? To allow parents who want to go out to work. Absolutely. And I think in many ways... And I'm not being sexist. Women in society have been more affected by this than so many others. I think the whole attitude here is that if they don't have, any, if you don't have school transportation, the unfortunate lady in the house in many ways steps back and actually makes sure the child gets to school. And this is about open access, about trying to make sure we have an inclusive society. And this is in many ways a real barrier at the moment. 
and I like for me there's so many pluses on this argument it's very very hard to find in the negative it will be money well spent on so many ways economically environmentally socially it ticks every single box it's going to be a, it has the potential to be a game changer if it's done right but until this report is published until we actually get the, the actual meat and bones of what's in this report we don't understand or know where the path is going to go with it and like the only line that's been published or leaked so far is the cost of it. Mm. I think mm. to look at the social impacts more more than the cost. I think there's so much to be gained by actually publishing this report, bringing it forward, changing the school transportation scheme to make sure it's workable and then to make sure that everyone's on the bus. Okay, cause I I, because the biggest bone of contention, let's be honest, every single year um, are the concessionary tickets. Are you hoping the review will come up with some kind of a solution around that issue? Yeah, I think the bus has to be, I think the new scheme has to be about making sure everyone's on the bus. I think this idea about concessionary, about so many miles away from the school, uh, your nearest school application, all these things need to be looked at. They're old mechanisms that just don't work in modern society. We're trying to encourage people onto school transportation, or, sorry, onto public transportation. What better way to do it than to start at school and to, make, and to encourage people to get the actual school bus itself? It makes logical sense. It happens in nearly every other jurisdiction. But for some reason, we're slow to move with it here. And I honestly believe, and I mean this out, there's a bias within the department regarding the urban-rural divide. If you're in Dublin, this is not an issue. Mm -hmm. It doesn't affect you whatsoever. School transportation schemes aren't an issue because you have many, many modes to get there. This is the other side of the country. This is about rural Ireland. It's about West Cork. It's about us. It's about trying to make sure that scheme works for where we are. And it has to work because the geographical areas that we're on about are huge. And I just think it, it's a win-win. But until we actually change the actual scheme itself, we will have the chaos of what's your nearest school? Are you 3.2 kilometres away from school? And all these other issues that, to me, are from another age. OK, so you're pushing the department to publish ASAP, um, Tim. Yeah, we need this thing published. I like this is the first step. If she publishes the report, then we can actually see what the proposals are. I'm hoping they're going to be proactive. I'm hoping they're going to be positive. I hope they're going to take into consideration the submission that me and other parents have made regarding what's required here. And if we can do that, then we need to move forward and actually get a scheme in place that's fit for purpose. Unfortunately, the time is against us. Like literally the twenty of April is the closing of the twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five academic year scheme. Like, my worry here is that we're looking at a scheme, at best, it's going to be going 2025, 2026, which means that if you enter first year, you probably won't have a new scheme before you actually leave school. So it'll be another year of, of headaches and anxiety for parents. OK, listen, keep us informed on this, uh, Tim. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining thank us. You. Good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Fine Gael, uh, Senator Tim Lambert, 0818103103. I mentioned deposit and return and the reverse vending machines and that picture that we saw out of a little store, I'm assuming Black Rock, Dunleary, people dumping their bottles 
outside because they obviously hadn't paid a deposit on it when they went to try to recycle them. Uh, Lorraine says, Patricia, how can you tell the difference with the ones you've paid a deposit on and the ones you have not? Do you know if it's a distinctive mark? We don't always notice what we pay. Well, there is, there's a, there's an R sign. Now, they're quite small because I, I, I bought some bottled water at the weekend and I was trying to work out which one had the, uh, had the return logo on it. And then I was checking the receipt to see had I paid a deposit on those ones, which ones that I had and which ones that I didn't have. So there is a sign on it. And obviously this is going to be a bit of confusion between now and June when when we're told that every single bottle in can, you will pay the deposit so they all will have the return logo. But remember also there was some bottles sold where it's the barcode is picking it up so it won't necessarily, the R won't be on it and that's just adding to the confusion. Uh, so what you can do, you can if, if you can bring your bottles along to the reverse vending machine and if you put it in and you haven't paid a deposit, it will just shoot it back out at you and what we're trying to say to people if that does happen to you please bring those bottles home and d- recycle them uh, responsibly but Lorraine also says um, that she's noticed that the sugar tax isn't being observed in most shops she says that she's noticed sh- shops are charging the same for minerals with sugar as without has anybody else noticed that there was a sugar tax in to try to get us to move away from and to move young people away from a lot of the sugary drinks but Lorraine reckons some shops are not observing that tax which I find I find astounding because usually those taxes it's paid at source so I can't see why they wouldn't be observing it and passing it on because ultimately when they buy from the suppliers they're going to have to pay that uh, tax. And then Sheila says, Hi Patricia, well I was really cute when it comes to this deposit and return scheme. I knew that there would be a crossover time. I also was predicting maybe some teething problems with the reverse vending machines. I only drink minerals and water. So what did I do? I stocked up big time in the run-up to the 1st of February. I'm chugging along happily, not worrying about deposits and returns for the time being. And by the time I've used my stockpile, things would have kicked in and everything would have settled down, says Sheila, who is the cute one. Thank you for that, uh, Sheila. Now, a study on gender and economic inequality has found that women do twice as much unpaid care and housework as men. The report has been published by Action Aid and the National Women's Council and it's calling for a public childcare model and a better paid family leave to support parents. Carol Balfe is CEO of Action Aid Ireland and Carol joins me this morning. Good morning to Carol. Good morning and thanks for having us on. Well, you're you're very welcome. Does this unpaid care remain largely invisible and therefore it's undervalued? I mean, is that the big problem here? I mean, I think there's a problem in terms of how we value unpaid and paid care. But just to start with unpaid care. So, you know, I think as most of your listeners will know, it's it's changing, but it is typically women who carry out the kind of the large responsibility for unpaid work, unpaid care work. And certainly globally, um, the ILO estimates that 75 percent of unpaid work, uh, care work is carried out by women. And we see that figure replicated in Ireland, women women do double the amount of um, unpaid care as men in Ireland. And we have the highest number of highest level of unpaid care, the third highest in the EU. So there's this problem where we don't value and recognise the unpaid care work that is the, the glue of our lives, you know, the kind of keeping each other safe and warm, looking after our physical and emotional needs. But we also don't value the, care, the paid care work. 
And this is typically, uh, again, the majority of uh, paid care work is carried out by women. It's 80% in Ireland um, and 98% of full time on paid carers in Ireland are women. So really, we see that this both types of care work are just not really valued. And, you know, in actual fact, our economy and our society just simply wouldn't function without this level of unpaid and care work. Yeah, because on the the paid care work that you mentioned there with the 80% being women, I mean, it's fair to say, isn't it, that predominantly that's low paid and it often comes with zero hour contracts. Exactly. It's quite precarious working conditions and these carers are often providing absolutely essential support to older people and to children, you know, the kind of very important aspects. And then we have personal assistance in terms of people with disabilities. So really, we're not valuing that work that is really fundamental. And it's often carers who might notice if a patient is deteriorating or they might be the kind of the the early warning for kind of doctors as well. So they do play such a vital role. And in many cases, it's a migrant worker, low paid workers, and we're not really valuing. They don't have many career opportunities. They don't have job security. They don't have pension security. So a whole range of discriminations that they face. And it also kind of explains as well why there's such a shortage of these workers at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And this is going to be a growing global problem. It's estimated by 2030 that 2.3 billion people around the world will be in need of care. So obviously populations are living longer, uh, which is a good thing, but that comes with increased caring needs. So this is a, a kind of a ticking time bomb and it affects all of us. All of us give and need care at, you know, at some stage in our lives. So it really is quite a fundamental issue. And one of the things that we did in our research is that we wanted to highlight, you know, firstly, this is an issue of gender inequality because it affects women given the high number of women that provide both unpaid and paid care, but it protects uh, affects particular groups of women in even more significant ways. So in our research, we did focus groups and research looking at lone parents in Ireland, traveller women, older women, disabled women and home care uh, carers themselves. And what we found and heard from um, these groups is that there's a number of barriers and issues that they face. Firstly, care just isn't valued. So carers will often kind of hear, oh, you're just a carer, like it's not a valuable and you know important role in society. Lone parents are really highly represented represented in poverty levels in Ireland. Traveller women experience multiple discriminations. Older people are not recognised and appreciated and their care needs met. And we heard some really horrific stories of lone parents who are living, um, you know, with kind of social protection supports, but with a lot of administrative restrictions on those. So if they worked over a certain number of hours a week, they would lose their social protection and therefore couldn't survive and would be more at risk in terms of homelessness. And being told by social protection officers that, you know, you can't have somebody in your home after six because that means you'll be living with somebody and therefore you're not entitled to your lone parents' allowance. So, you know, just the type of restrictions that people face that are really unacceptable in Ireland today. Was that actually said to somebody? You can't have somebody. It was. Yes, it was said. Yes, to a number of people we spoke to, actually. My goodness. And of course, when you're looking at low uh, unpaid and and even low paid, there's pension implications, isn't there, for a lot of these women? (laughs) 
Absolutely. And in Ireland, there's a pension discrepancy. So women are, you know, at 35 percent less than the males for pension. So this is a, it is a fundamental issue of gender inequality in Ireland. And those groups who can't get full employment that are at risk of homelessness, you know, that kind of increases quite significantly for them. Do you worry when we're talking about the paid care, do you worry about the privatisation of care in this country? <laughs> I mean, this was a kind of central feature of our report, and it's a global trend since the 1980s and also particularly around the time of austerity. And we know that well in Ireland, the increased privatisation of public services, of services and of care as an issue. And really, one of the fundamental ways to address gender equality is access to public services, because that means women can access those public services. They can rely on them for childcare and things like that. And then the the burden of unpaid care doesn't fall as much to women. So public services, and these are, you know, a number of the key recommendations that we make in the report, both in a national context and a global context, public services matter and the state needs to provide public services. And in our report, we talk about a human rights based approach to care. And a fundamental part of that is the state providing adequate supports for people to give and receive care. And in the case of people with disability, to be able to live independently. That's a statutory home support scheme, isn't it, is what really you're calling for? Yes, I mean, across the board, public services in terms of childcare, in terms of um, access to social housing when it's needed, you know, the proper social protection. And one of the things that we recommend is more of a one stop shop so that people don't have to go through very different departments with a lot of administrative burdens and restrictions. And at the moment, is that what you're you're finding, that people are finding it really difficult? It's, It's it's a nightmare for people. And the women that we worked with, they said, you know, it, we, one of the women that was involved in the project was a lone parent in her early 20s with a daughter with very, very complex needs. And she said the burden for her is not caring for her daughter. That is difficult and challenging. The, but, you know, if she loves her daughter, the burden for her is the lack of supports that she gets from the state. And she was one of the women that we spoke to, you know, that was told by a social protection officer, well, you shouldn't have somebody in your home after 6 p.m. So, you know, that leads to isolation for mm. women if they have this fear of having somebody in their home. So we really need to kind of shift the approach to care where we give people the supports that is their their human right to have those supports and we value and recognize care and look at that as a society as a whole and that also plays into kind of how we look at our economic success typically we just measure that based on you know gdp rather than looking at well-being and how we're caring for each other and access to public services and as you say this this is a global problem because you know you mentioned we have a global aging population so there you know there's going to be many many more uh, people who who will and and we know when you do any kind of research people want to stay at home and live as independently as possible for as long as they can and for a number of older people they can only do that with help and support of carers 
Absolutely. And, you know, we should be allowing people to live their lives the way they want to. You know, obviously, you know, there, there are kind of individual responsibilities and the reality of our lives as a whole. But it does really come into kind of what kind of society do we want? And do we think that our government should provide those services? And we have seen the erosion of public services across the world. And really, you know, when you look at what people value, it's the crucial thing being able to live at home with dignity, proper health care, you know, not having to wait extraordinary amounts of time just to access health care if you're older. So all of those types of services really, really matter for realising a life with dignity for people. OK, well said. All right, listen, Carol, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. That is Carol Balf and Carol is CEO of Action Aid uh, Ireland who commissioned that uh, study along with the National Women's Council and I suppose no surprise to hear that the unpaid uh, care and housework is predominantly done by women more than men. I don't know if we're ever going to move away from a time where we won't see that and likewise there's always a there's always been a gender pay gap. I mean it's getting better. There's a lot of women who are bursting through the glass ceiling but certainly not enough but it's when you go down to the other end when you go down to uh, the, the even the paid uh, carers they have a tendency to be very much low paid 80% of them are uh, women and as I pointed out many of them are on zero hour contracts and I saw that there was a push I know we were talking about trying to do something on it this week there was a push to get overseas workers migrant workers uh, to, come to come to this country to fill a lot of those caring jobs that are needed in this country I mean certainly the home care supports how many people listening to this programme uh, will either themselves or know of somebody who has been assigned a home care package but the problem is the HSC will say yes we have the money for it and everything but we can't get the workers to do it and I know there was a push to get migrant uh, workers I think there was about a thousand visas issued for outside of the EU to get people to come from other countries but I think about 400 was only taken up and of course part of that problem was that these workers many of them do want to come to this country to work many of them you know they're very skilled they're one wonderful people, they're caring people, they, they, they want to come here and do uh, caring roles. But of course, if they come here and if they're on a low paid job uh, with these zero hour contracts where they can't be guaranteed how much money they're going to get every week, how in God's name can we ask anyone to come from another country to come here to work with our current housing situation or lack of housing, or even if you could find a house, it's the cost of housing, um, the cost of renting in this uh, country. So it doesn't come as a surprise uh, when I saw that when those visas were issued uh, less than half were actually taken up. We're going to be discussing uh, Sinn Féin and the fact they're tabling a private member's motion in the Dáil uh, today. They want to get rid of the TV licence with immediate effect but they also want to juice an, an amnesty for prosecution from those who haven't paid the charge. Now an immediate reaction to that has come from the Taoiseach uh, Leo Varadkar who says if you introduce an amnesty now for the people who didn't pay the TV licence would that not be a slap in the face to the law-abiding citizens who have paid their TV licence this year and have paid it for years. So how would people feel about an amnesty for those who didn't pay but no talk about those who did pay getting any kind of a refund? Your thoughts welcomed on that. And Somebody has sent me on a copy of a text message that they've just received claiming to be from Post saying a parcel has just arrived at our depot and it's got import duties, blah, blah, blah. And then telling you to click on a link. Absolutely, that is a scam. Just delete it from your phone. 
phone. Would you believe I got the identical text to my phone on Saturday and within, I would say, five minutes, my husband got the same one on his phone as well. So those unpost ones are doing the round again. They're banking on people expecting items from unpost and that's when people click on those uh, links and then it's all tied in with the money mules that we spoke about yesterday. Uh, money gets taken out of your account, put into one of those young people's bank accounts as a money mule taken out very quickly and then of course there's no trace of the money after that so please be very careful there are a lot of scams still doing the rounds Hi Patricia I agree with you and your comments on the funeral of John Bruton last Saturday it was very very dignified but what annoyed me was to hear mention that there will be no eulogy allowed in the church because the funeral took place in the Meath Diocese and they don't allow eulogies with all of the shortages of priests and the falling number of people going to Mass the bishops still seem to be acting like dictators I'm afraid nothing changes at the top and that's and there's a lot of dioceses are introducing that as well um, it's not just Meads there's a number of dioceses and, and then I think it's up to individual parish priests as well some priests are much more open to the idea of the family doing uh, a eulogy and I think there's something nice about a eulogy inside in the church but I think what the Catholic hierarchy want is if you want to do a eulogy you can do it but you must do it at the graveside uh, you mustn't do it in the church because it's a it's a new enough phenomena the idea of a family member going up onto the pulpit I mean, certainly when I was growing up I don't ever remember eulogies in the church so it's a, it's a you know recent enough uh, phenomena but I certainly think there's something nice about it and certainly anytime I've attended a funeral I've always loved listening to a family member you know regaling stories and talking about their loved one and I think it's important for the families as well but there are dioceses who insist now that you can't do it in the church uh, anymore and even for a former Taoiseach of this country his family wasn't allowed to do it which in some ways is good if they have that rule in place the rule is in place for everyone uh, including somebody like a former Taoiseach thank you for your text though to 0862103103 now a couple of questions coming in to do with the child benefit that we've been hearing about on the news today and certainly this is good this is a good news story for parents of teenagers that the monthly child benefit is going to be extended now for all dependent offsprings under the age of 19. Now, it's coming in actually sooner than was was expected. The measure will apply to all eligible 18-year-olds up until their 19th birthday who are in full-time education or who have a disability. The monthly uh, payment of €140 Euro per child uh, will now be made from the beginning of May, uh, meaning a total benefit over a full year would work out at twenty. The Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys, she's seeking Cabinet approval for the measure today and the move uh, to extend the payment. It's said to benefit, they reckon about 60,000 young people are currently aged 18 or are coming up to their 18th uh, birthday. It was first mentioned in the budget last October and it had initially been planned that the extended child benefit up to the age of 19 would come in from September of this year. And that's, you know, a lot of parents whose children were 18 already were saying, I'll have missed out on it. They'll be out of school by September of 2024 and I won't be able to get it. But anyway, Heather Humphreys has decided to move on this one. So she's going to her cabinet colleagues today uh, explaining that the Department of Social Protection is now in a position to implement the measure and they'll do it from the 1st of May. Now, some will be cynical and say, could this have anything to do with the fact that it will come in just in time to coincide with the local and European elections? (laughs) 
which are happening in June. If you want to be cynical, some people will look at it from that point of view. But I think for the parents, they'll just be thankful. So today's expected announcement will give householders an extra four months. So that's a cash boost of 560 euro that they hadn't bargained for at the start of the year. And the department say that this particular move is designed to assist families with the cost of living. But it also reflects the significant number of 18-year-olds who were still in second-level education. Heather Humphreys intends to implement the change. It'll be an amendment she has to do to the Social Welfare Bill. And that it gets mentioned today at Cabinet and it goes before the Senate this week, but it'll be in by the 1st of May. And the particular extension uh, is the reason that they are, are introducing it is to reflect the fact that many Children now enrol in primary school when they're at least five years of age. Before, children would have gone to school when they were four. Many now wait until they are uh, five. And then, obviously, they will leave school when they're over the age of uh, 18 and they were losing their child benefit. And then, obviously, you've got a lot of teenagers who do transition year. And that's optional in a lot of schools. But that also means that young people are staying in school for a year longer than previous generations of children would have done. So Heather Humphreys has placed particular focus on the area of child benefit to date. I mean, she did manage to secure a double cost of living payment in the last two budgets. And the improvement reflects a a new drive on child poverty. And that was instigated by the Taoiseach and uh, obviously been seen elsewhere in the social welfare uh, budget. Now, Social Justice Ireland, they, of course, estimate that one in seven children in Ireland are affected by poverty. That's a huge, huge number. And the government has been slow to respond to calls for child benefit to be more tailored towards low-income homes because the one the one argument you'll hear about child benefit is that it is a universal payment which means that the very richest in this country, you know, the householders, you could be a millionaire and if you have a son or a daughter now up now up to the age of 19, you're entitled to your monthly child benefit or you could be a low income family really, really struggling and you'll be getting the very same payment as somebody who is in a much richer household. And there's always been an argument uh, about why, it, you know, why it should and shouldn't be universal. Others will say then that you have to remember that the child benefit is one of the few payments that predominantly is... Um, uh, paid to mothers in most cases and for mothers you know it's a direct line of payment that they get uh, every single month so there's arguments for and against whether it should be universal or not but anyway that's a, an argument I suppose for another day the good news is that it's been extended from the 1st of May and child benefit will be paid to uh, young people up to their 19th uh, birthday now John in Blackpool says, Patricia, I've been listening to the story about the children's allowance for the 18-year-olds. Could you explain to me, please? It also says for those with a disability, what does that mean? Uh, they're talking about children with a disability. A young person with a disability up to the age of 19 now will also receive the child uh, benefit. It was, it had been up to now and up to the 1st of May. It had been cut off at 18. And then a Mitchestown listener has a great question. said, I'd be grateful, Patricia, if you could clarify for me on the announcement of the children's allowance for 18-year-olds. Are 18-year-olds in college entitled to this until their 19th uh, birthday? I thought from that Mitchester listener, what a great question. Lo and behold then, didn't I spot on the news wires the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he's on his way into the Cabinet meeting where they're going to be discussing this uh, new measure and he was asked about it and he said it's in recognition of the fact that there's an increasingly, it's increasingly normal for 18-year-olds to be in school 
or even just to start their first year in college until they're until they're 18. So I take it from that the Taoiseach is saying, yes, it's up to their 19th birthday. It's once they're in full-time education and full-time education will also include young people going on to college because if a young person had, finishes secondary school and say didn't do the transition year, then they will be leaving school and they some of them may just be 18 when they head into college. So yes, they will be able to receive their child benefit up until their 19th birthday. But as I say, it doesn't come in until the 1st of May. 0818 103 103. John Paul and Stephen taking calls today. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Now a sales assistant is required. It's for a ladies boutique. You'll be required to work one to three days per week. Drop your CV please into Luna Bella Boutique. They're based at Park West. Or if you want to email it, you can. LunaBellaBoutique at gmail.com. Caretakers, groundkeepers and environmental workers are all required for community employment schemes in Blarney, Inascara, Whitegate, Kilcolly, Grenna and Carrigg-Navarre. ASIRA has all of the details 083 303 5365. Resilience Healthcare, they're recruiting support workers. It's for their residential homes in Mallow, Formoy and Kildallery. CVs please to careers at resilience.ie. And JMC Parts, they're based in West Cork. They're looking for a sales rep. It's for agricultural spare parts and equipment. Email CV and a cover letter, please, to bgalvin at jmcparts.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, the current government appear to have mixed views about how the TV licence should be operated into the future, with some saying the model should remain the same and others saying that RTE should get direct exchequer funding. Cork, Sinn Féin, Dáil Deputy uh, Thomas Gould says the TV licence is unfair and it should be uh, axed and Sinn Féin are actually bringing a motion on this to the Dáil uh, today. Deputy Thomas Gould uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose start by explaining to me why do you believe the current model of the TV licence that we pay every year, why do you believe that is unfair? Well, what happened, Patricia, the government went away and put a commission together on the future of media. And they produced a report two and a half years ago, which has been sitting on the government desk. And one of the main recommendations of the Future Media Commission is that in 2024, the licence fee would be abolished and it would go straight to exchequer funding so that the licence fee would be replaced by direct exchequer funding. Now, that report has been sitting on the government's desk for two and a half years. Like This was a report that they commissioned themselves. And what we've said at this stage of the game is, if the government aren't going to act on the report, that Sinn Féin, we're going to bring forward a private member's motion today calling for the abolition of the TV licence, direct investment from the exchequer, and we believe that's the right model going forward. And right across Europe now, they're moving away from this licence fee. They're actually looking at different areas. And we want to follow a kind of a model that they have in Norway, 
where they've got rid of the license fee and it's direct investment. And the other thing, no, like the day of people just having a, t- a television are gone, a lot of people use their laptop, their device, their phones. You know, t- media has changed. So we have to also keep pace with that. And we believe this is the best way to ensure that we have properly sustainable public sector for uh, funding. Yeah, and, and, uh, and you're right in saying the way people consume their media has very much uh, changed. And that's one of the reasons why there has been talks of a universal household charge. And it is something that the government, it's a notion the government have spoken about in the past. Would you be completely against that also? Yeah, well, this is just another charge for the sake of it. Like, what, what we need to do, people pay their taxes. Like, why are we bringing in a new tax on top of the local property tax before we had the water charges, the TV licence? Like, what we know is this model that the Commission looked at this, it's almost a 300-page report. They looked at everything from local radios to the Irish language to sports coverage to diversity. So this media, these media experts sat down and looked at this. Like, if we're going to be, if the government is going to be organising uh, reports by uh, independent experts, then they should be listening to them. Or what's the point in having these reports in the first place? Well, the government, of course, will come back at you today saying you're a bit premature with this motion because we know that Catherine Martin, the media minister, she's commissioned two root and branch reviews into how RTE operated in, in recent years and they're due to report in the coming weeks. So do we need to wait and see what comes out of both of those reports before making any decision about the future funding of public broadcasting in Ireland? I don't think we do. This report that was done for the future media was done before any of the RT scandals. No, don't get me wrong. What happened in RT was shocking. And just to give your listeners a kind of a feel of things, last year, 1,300 people were brought before the court for not paying their licence fee. And that's just over two, just under 2.1 million euros that was failed to be collected. But at the same time then, RT wasted over 2.1 million euro on the late, late toy show, the musical. So you have people who didn't pay their fees going to court. And then on the other side, you have people who've squandered millions and nothing happened to them. They're retiring on massive pensions. Um, like when you see what happened in the last two weeks, that pensions were written off with a proper scrutiny or criteria. Contracts were signed last year and the year before with celebrities and broadcasters without going through the proper procurement or procedure. We need RT. And you see, what we're going to do is, in our proposal that we're bringing forward today, is to bring RT under the remit of the controller and auditor general. And that means that the public accounts committee would be able to scrutinise RT's funding and finances. If so, if there was any questions, we'd have we'd have direct access to it. Where at the moment, like you see with all the, the committee meetings, they're not some of them haven't gone into the detail we wanted because we don't have the authority to go in there. Under Sinn Fein, uh, this proposal it would become under the control of the controller and auditor general. But 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 you're not going to give them a blank cheque and allow them to spend what they want. No, what, what we have costed is going on previous years, and we have costed it at 140 million plus 12 and a half million for unpost because unpost would have collected a lot of the license fees, 
and they were looking at a seven percent um charge for the work they'd done. So we're gonna give that money to Unpus so they're not out of pocket. But also then that hundred and forty million would go into a media fund that would support RT and T G Car, but also public service contact product content production. Like Patricia, I was you this morning, right? The people listen to you because they know they'll get local, national and global affairs talked about in uh, an honest and truthful way. They're not worried about false, uh, misleading comments or fake media. They know, they listen to one or three, they listen to you because they trust you. We want to support proper public service broadcasting, and we want to make sure that it's safe going into the future. But I think everybody accepts that to have a well-functioning democracy, we have to have independently funded media. I mean, is there a danger by allowing the public service broadcaster to be totally funded by the exchequer? Is it then at the whim of every future government? No, it's not. And the reason being, Patricia, is we've built into our proposal um, a tree, a, a tree prone safety net so that there is no issues. And the triple lock, as we describe it, one is that funding would be multi-annual. That means every four years, right? So it's not every year that it comes in front of a minister. This would be set out over four years. And it also would be set up by the independent body, uh, Commissioner Unaman. So that would advise the government on the funding that's required for the next four years. So that commission would be an independent body that would advocate for the amount of money needed. And then a minister couldn't interfere with that only under exceptional circumstances, like let's say if there was a financial crash or the troika came in. Otherwise, the minister would have to ensure that the commission's uh, recommendations are accepted and it's for four years. So it completely ensures and guarantees editorial independence. Okay, I know also part of the motion is you're looking for uh, an amnesty for the people who opted not to pay for the TV licence and we saw an increase in people not paying their TV licence because of everything that came out from uh, from RTE and I think the numbers are about 60 people a day are being uh, prosecuted. You want an amnesty for all those people, Thomas? Yes, well, what you had is last year there was 13,000 people brought before the courts and like you're wasting Dad's time, the judges, the court services, the amount of time that has been wasted on that. What we are saying is if if we would stop, we would abolish the licence fee with immediate effect. And then we would give an amnesty. And just to let people know, I know people have paid their money last year. And I paid my own TV licence, right? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. But the thing about it now is, in 2017, when the government abolished water charges, an amnesty was given then. And that's all we are saying, to do the same now. Get rid of the licence fee, pay it from the exchequer and draw a line on other people. Yeah, but the difference, the difference with the water charges, Thomas, was yes, they gave an amnesty for people who were going to be prosecuted for not paying the bills that were out at that stage. But they then refunded the money to the people who had paid their water charges. I mean, I'm already getting calls in from people saying, I paid my TV licence. If there's going to be an amnesty, I want my money back. You, you are going to have to accept that at least for the last year, you'd have to give people their money back. Well, what we certainly would do, Patricia, is we look at it the year we're in. So let's say if, if we were to manage to do this in 2024, which is the recommendation of the Commission, we'd certainly look at that then. But anything before that would be the previous, would be this government's decision, and that would be the legal position then. But going forward, we certainly would consider that. Okay, but there, there, there is, I mean, I know RTE are taking comfort from this. There has been an increase in the number of TV licences paid for the final week in January. They, it was the first increase, 2,500 extra people paid it uh, over the previous January. And that was the first increase since June when all the scandals first uh, emerged. It looks like people are, are going back to paying their TV licence. But even at that Patricia, you mo- one in four people didn't pay their licence fee last year. And the expectation is that will be higher this year. So RT will still have to come to the government to look for money. Like last year, RT had to get funding from the government to keep going. And if people keep not paying their licence fee, and I know there was, there was a jump in January, but then the previous six months, thousands, tens of thousands of people hadn't paid. So RT is going to be in a position in a couple of months' time where they're going to have to come back to the government. And that's not a sustainable position. What we are saying is set the funding for four years. They know what they have for four years. The management is doing work in trying to cut costs and make RT more efficient. The one worry I have here, Patricia, is all those ordinary workers in RT who had ordinary wages like who weren't involved in the scandal, who weren't these elites who got hundreds of thousands, they're the people suffering now. So what we are saying is let's put the money in place, ensure their jobs, ensure proper 
public service broadcasting, and that's the way we feel is the right way to go. And to be honest, Patricia, 160 euros is a lot of money to a lot of families. Like, there's people out there who are on low-wage incomes, right? Or who might, who might be struggling to pay their bills, send kids to school or college or medical bills, right? That 160 euros is worth a lot. And this, whether you're an ordinary factory worker or whether you're a TV, both people pay 160 and that's not fair. OK, one West Cork listener says, uh, Patricia, we in this country are taxed to the hilt. Why should we pay for RTE's big salaries and for the toy show, the musical? What a disaster that was. Also, RTE, higher paid staff. They're on massive wages and pensions. The people are treated very badly by the politicians who make the decisions in this country. That's a West uh, Cork uh, listener. And then somebody else was bringing up about the suggestion that came from, I'm sure it was from the Thornish, uh, Micheál Martin, when he was saying that if we handed over the collection of the TV licence to revenue, we know revenue are very good at collecting uh, any fees that are due and taxes that are due, we would all pay less than the €160. The problem is that there is an evasion of the TV uh, licence. Would you consider revenue being involved in a collection of any kind of a household charge? No, because media is changing. And, like, this isn't Sinn Féin's proposal. This is a commission for the future of media in this island who brought forward this report two and a half years ago after the government had looked for the report. So the government looked for this report, they got the report, and they didn't like what they said. And to be honest, the, what the minister was saying is they might very well do away with the TV license later on in the year or over the summer, but they're not going to do it now. Like, what is the delay? Like, what we're doing, Sinn Féin, is bringing forward a proposal that has been come to by independent experts. Not not Thomas Gould or Pierre Storty sitting in the room and saying, this is a good idea. This is a, a, a good idea because the experts said it's a good idea. And other European countries have moved to this model, and I think we should too. Okay, and and what about the argument that Sinn Féin is only bringing forward this abolition of the TV licence because of your recent uh, slippage in the uh, opinion polls? And it's a populist thing to do. No, you see, the thing is, we have a list of PMBs that we bring forward. Like, we have PMBs for the next few weeks, you know, identify that we're bringing forward. No, we don't release them to the media because the government would know what we're doing then. But this was on the rota of... PMBs we were bringing forward. Private members' last, last, last week we were to do one on rents. Unfortunately, John Pruton passed away, so that note has to go back a couple of weeks, but we'll bring that up again. So so you, ha- have you, haven't, you haven't pulled the planned motion on supporting renters in favour of this licence, V1? No, no. We, no. we have okay. a list of PMBs that we want to run by, and we strategically do them um, because... Like, we have our plans, the government of theirs, and what we are trying to say is this is our proposals, and people can make up their own mind. And Patricia, I would say this. If people talk about being cynical, the government announced an increase to uh, children's allowance to over-18s, starting in the 1st of May, a month before the local and European elections. We did mention, no. we did mention that earlier. So Jim wants no. to know, if Sinn Féin got into power, would you get rid of the local property tax? Oh, yes, we would. We would. We would fund it. There's people living in houses at the moment. And I spoke to a lady on Sunday as well, right? She's a widower 
Her kids have gone, moved away. She has a lovely house in Sunday as well, but she's living on a pension. And her property tax, like this was her home. She raised a family there, her husband. She was married for years. She's really struggling to pay, right? It doesn't take into account a person's ability to pay. And other people then, like, we would bring in something like a wealth tax for people who are on over a million euros, not the family farm, not the family home, not, not the family business. People who are sitting on property all over the land and houses all over the country, they're the people who should be paying a little bit extra. Not only, not only people who are struggling to survive. And what people are telling me, I, I'm a canvasser now. I was out, I was out the weekend. I was in Granada, to Glen in Glenmire. And outside of housing and health, the cost of living is a huge thing for a lot of people. People are really struggling. Okay, listen, we leave it there, uh, Thomas, and and that motion is this afternoon to scrap the TV licence and an amnesty for those who didn't pay. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning, Uh, Good morning to you. That is Cork North Central, uh, Sinn Féin, Dáil Deputy uh, Thomas uh, Gould. Hi, Patricia. Does that mean that people who did not pay in December would be fined, but those who didn't pay in January wouldn't? Sounds unfair. No, I think they're talking about a complete amnesty for anyone who, uh, who is going to be brought before the courts for non-payment of a TV licence. And remember, it was only since June since all the RTE scandals started to break that we started to see so many people deciding not to renew their TV licence. And the state-funded media, Paul from you all said, on the idea of needing independently funded media for a functioning democracy, Sweden's media is heavily state-funded right across the board and I don't think anyone would accuse Sweden of not being a democracy. Strong, independent oversight is what's needed, not a total lack of state funding to maintain a veneer of independence. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on there, uh, Paul. Thank you for that. Now, let me go to the comment line where my namesake, Patricia, who is in Kinsale, uh, joins me. Good morning to you. Good morning. I have my head out the window for reception. OK, good so because... If, any, if I go quiet, I'm gone. OK, so as long as you're secure, that's the main yes, thing. I OK, All right. and the reason for that is you've got very bad uh, mobile reception where you yes. are in Kinsale. Therefore, your landline is vital. You've been having awful problems with Vodafone. Tell me what's been going on. Patricia, I'm, I'm disabled. OK. And I'm literally only out of my house, rarely. I'm nearly housebound. I spend a lot of time in bed with my foot elevated. I have complex pain syndrome. So my landline is essential with the poorest restriction on the mobile. My family all live abroad, except for my children in Dublin. And calls cut out. It's horrendous. I changed my contract with Vodafone. I took on a new contract in last September. I'm years with them. Every month, I'm billed for the previous contract, which is 40 euro more. I've spent seven and a half hours on the phone to a call centre, mainly in Egypt, spoken to nine people, and every month it happens again. And I have to renew my contract every month, October, November, December, and January the 26th was the last time. And now, again... I guess, uh, notice of my bill for this month as per the old contract. God, now, the last time, the last time I got very irate, I'll be honest, with the uh, rep in the call centre that I used my landline and my landline was gone. A few days later, I went to ring an ambulance. I was very unwell. No, no landline. It was disconnected. It was disconnected. The phones are working. They've been checked. 
and uh, it's gone. Is it still gone? It's still gone. Yeah, yeah. And have I got you... the ambulance uh, with my mobile, but I have to get myself up the stairs. I'm mobility challenged, and my reception goes different places in my house. Yeah, it, it doesn't function downstairs properly. It's a nightmare. It's but a nightmare. but, but hang on. Did, did Vodafone say why you've been disconnected? Uh, no, I can't get it. I said to them, I, I think it happened because this uh, representative in their call centre was shouting at me to shut up. I was trying <sighs> to explain to him. My, it's more than a service to me. It's, it's, it's my main social interaction. I can't go out. I can't wear a shoe for more than two hours a day. I'm rarely out of the house. And, and how long have you had this complex pain syndrome? I've had, I can't really go into that because there's litigation. Oh, I had right, a okay. hospital-acquired okay. injury but, and 12 but, surgeries. But, but you're literally housebound because of it? Yeah. So therefore, I was a nurse before, community nurse running around. So your phone is vital to you? It is vital because my, my brother in Spain had cancer surgery last week. They didn't tell me until he went in for surgery. And the mobile is just, you can't talk. No, not, not if it's going to, going to drop. He's in hospital with his mobile and I'm on a mobile that's cutting out. I literally have to, I'm in bed most of the day when I'm at home, when I'm home all the time. And you can't have conversations when you have to move around. And I, I, my mobility is very poor. And have you one of those panic buttons? I know? was supposed to get one. Yeah. This is what's the most infuriating because I got an awful fright uh, a week before. A week before, I just realised my phone was just horrendous in the house reception. And I heard about this medical alert call. Now, it killed me getting it psychologically, but I knew I had to have it. I filled in the forms and, of course, no landline. So I can't proceed. Until you get your landline. Yeah. Okay, we got on to, when you contacted us yesterday, yeah. we got on to uh, Vodafone. Uh, John Paul was just speaking to somebody who said they're now escalating yeah. your issue. Somebody from Vodafone is going to contact you and they will reinstate uh, the landline connection. Uh, plus, they're, they're promising us that they're going to sort out the contract. Now, I'm just assuming uh, when they're going to talk to you, uh, I'm assuming they're going to ring on a, uh, they need to reinstate that landline. There's no point ringing your mobile because if you're yeah, downstairs, your mobile, yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll get back on to John Paul to make sure that they reconnect now, they told me the landline. That, they told me that, Patricia, five days ago and gave me an escalation number. Uh, uh, no, they told me it, first of all, uh, 10 days ago. And they gave me a high priority rate. Then I, when I rang back, they told me they'd no record of that. <sighs> now, I have to say, there is one woman on Facebook, on their Facebook page, yeah. who's been messaging me, Mary, shout out to her. She's nearly my bestie. <laughs> because she's been so kind and mm. understanding. But of the other staff, and a manager, I spoke to a manager, I won't name her, I spoke to a manager who promised me it would all be sorted. And the next day, I got three welcome letters with three different contracts on the 26th of January. Such a waste. Uh, Such a waste. Three well. different prices. But the thing is, I'm tied to a contract. I can't just say, oh, goodbye, Vodafone. Yeah, I'll go with somebody else. Time. Yeah, OK. Now, John Paul says it's, it's the mobile they're going to contact you on. Um, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Well, that's going, that is going to be um, a problem. OK, we'll get back on again and see if they can reinstate the landline and then call or even you. email me. Yeah, even email, e- yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah I've asked them mainly. Yeah, it's, it's just we need to get the landline back up and running and then somebody on that landline needs to call you on the landline yeah. to sort out the problem with the contract and get it sorted for once and oh, for all. Oh, Patricia, it's a lifesaver. I know, but you, yeah, and you can't have this every single month getting overcharged and then having to go back into this oh, process. Me. Now, I know, but that's not me. good enough. Yeah, no, it's not. They refunded me last month, but then to have the same happen. Yeah, yeah, every um, single month. I can, and I can't understand it because, I mean, I've, I can't. I, I'm, loads of people change over uh, contracts. I only last year when I, and, I'm, and I might as well say it, I'm with Vodafone as well, and I went on to a new uh, contract because there was a better offer. Yeah. Um, and it was seamlessly. It just went from one bill to the next bill and there was no problems with it. So I don't, I don't know how common an issue yeah, this I is. I mean, I was trying to explain to the agent, you know, in Egypt, that this isn't just a service to me. Yeah, it, it's your lifeline. Like psychologically, it, uh, it's horrendous. I can't believe I'm so affected psychologically. No, I can't I, believe it. Yeah, but I, but I can because the fact that you, if you know your phone is working and you know at any stage you can go to that phone and pick it up and, and ring somebody, that gives you peace of mind. But, if, but if you're sitting there and you know, if God forbid you become unwell, like yeah. what happened with the app, and you can't ring, of course that psychologically is going to affect you. OK, yeah. listen, we'll keep in contact with you. Patricia, we'll keep in contact with Vodafone. OK, and you mind yourself. Like after, I just said to you this morning, Patricia, yeah. I actually missed a call from you because I had my head out the window with the phone and the phone fell out of my hand oh. down the front oh. drive. And it took me 40 minutes to get down the stairs to get the phone. That's, that's not without coming up the stairs again. That's crazy. That's it crazy. Is. My heart goes out to you. Hang in hang there. Hang, I will hang out of the window now and then hang in there. All right, listen, mind yourself. That is, uh, Patricia can say, that really is just, that absolutely is not good enough. Uh, 0818 103 103. John Paul and uh, Stephen taking your calls. And as I say, I don't know how common that is. You switch from one contract to another contract uh, and then for some reason... The, the computer says you're with your old contract and you keep getting billed for the old contract. 0818103103. Hi, Patricia. Listening to that lady, Patricia from Kinsale with uh, Vodafone, I also find they're a pure nightmare. I had the same experience and the only way I could get it sorted was I went into the office and refused to leave until it all got uh, sorted out and then it was sorted. But I needed to actually go in and that's not a problem. That's not a solution unfortunately uh, for Patricia because of her disability she rarely leaves uh, the house Hi Patricia why doesn't Patricia change to another network she can't she's stuck in a uh, contract uh, Hi Patricia what a lovely lovely lady Patricia sounds well done I uh, hope that you get uh, it sorted for her yeah well, we'll we'll press we'll press them like mad to get it sorted for her because it isn't just a simple case of somebody being without a phone and we you know if we were without a landline at least you'd have your mobile but she can't, I mean, hanging out the window, taking a call. And that was why when John Paul was ringing her earlier, we didn't know what was going on because she wasn't answering the phone and got help or it fell out of her hand. And then having to come all the way down the stairs again. And when you have a disability, the stairs is a huge, huge problem uh, for her. And don't forget here on C103, we're giving you your next big way to win cash here starting next Monday on C103. We've got thousands of free money uh, to give away and all you have to do is snap the app. What does that mean? Well, we want you to download the C103 app to your phone and then you need to stay snap a screenshot of the app. Then you stay listening for your chance to WhatsApp in that photograph to us. If we call you back, you'll be into a daily draw, which Martina will do in the afternoon. 
and every day as um, somebody will be somebody will get a call back and they will be receiving 500 euro of free money so snap the app you can download it today and by downloading it today you will be ready to play because we're kicking off this competition from next Monday the 19th of February only on C103 if you've already downloaded the app then you're fine but you're going to have to wait and have a snap uh, a snap the screenshot of the app and when we give you the call uh, to send it in you're going to have to send it in by WhatsApp only so make sure that you're on WhatsApp for this as well that's snap the app your opportunity to win a daily prize of 500 euro and it's kicking off here on C103 next Monday now some of your commentary that has been coming into the programme all morning on the children's allowance that we mentioned child benefit is to be extended to all dependent children under the age of 19 and it's coming in from the beginning of May it goes to cabinet today then it goes to senate next week and they reckon it's going to be in place by uh, May and they're saying for a lot of householders they'll get maybe an extra four months payment uh, this year which could be a cash boost of about 560 euro that most people hadn't bargained for because when it was announced in the budget last October we were told it would come in in September of 2024 so it's a good news story for parents of teenagers but now I'm getting a slew of texts in saying what about a child who turned 18 since January someone else this morning does that mean my son who turned 18 in December and is in leaving cert uh, he'll get the his child benefit reinstated will it be backdated somebody else says re-child benefit if a student is 18 since the 23rd of December does that mean that the child benefit will be backdated thanking you now the devil obviously is going to be in the detail but from what I can gather from what's been released so far this isn't going to be a backdated payment Uh, The payment will extend to children whose 19th birthday falls in May or later of this year. So it means if you have a son or daughter who turns 19, say, on the 30th of April, the day before, they won't be entitled to it because the payment will not be paid in arrears. It will come back in from the 1st of May. So anyone who is still 18 on the 1st of May, their parents will be entitled to the €140 extra a month for as long as they remain. In, uh, in full education which appears to be third level as well if you listen to what the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said when he was going into the cabinet today but the, the full details no doubt uh, we'll get further details on it but they are definitely at this stage saying that it is not a payment in arrears so they're not going to be backdating it unfortunately unless that changes but from, from my interpretation of what's been announced uh, so far it'll be a new payment coming in from the 1st of May and then it'll be in thereafter for uh, young people up to their 19th birthday. 0818103103 on funeral masses when we were talking about funeral masses and in particular the funeral mass of John Bruton and how there wasn't a eulogy because it was in the Diocese of Meath and they don't allow eulogies anymore in the uh, church. And a lot of people are saddened about the fact that they don't allow eulogies. Somebody said it's the very same in Mallow Town. Um, I disagree with this. They should be encouraging people to go back into the church and this is a nice way to do it. While Tim has a very different view, he describes the eulogies as those long talks given by family members in a church when somebody has passed uh, away. They're annoying, to say the very least, says Tim. Sure, everyone is great when they're dead and gone. It takes from the sacrament of the Mass and the celebration of the Eucharist, says Tim. And I think that's the theory behind the hierarchy of the Catholic Church who want to end the eulogies in the church. And they're saying you can do the eulogy instead at the grave side. But of course, families say, you know, people who go to the funeral mass don't necessarily always go to the graveyard as well. As well, So I know for some 
some families it does cause uh, upset. 0818103103 on the TV licence and what we were hearing today from Sinn Féin. They're bringing a motion uh, before the Dáil, a private member's bill. They're calling for the TV licence to be scrapped and replaced by a media fund which would come from existing uh, taxes. But they're also looking for a legal amnesty from prosecution for people who haven't paid their uh, TV uh, licence. Hi, uh, Patricia. Many people don't watch RTE, but we're all forced to pay a TV licence. I, by the way, have always paid my TV licence. I would scrap public service broadcasting altogether, if I could, says this texter. It's basically a mouthpiece for politicians. Then, by default, the TV licence would not be payable by anyone if you got rid of public service broadcasting. I don't want RTE to be funded directly by the government because then they would have power and control over the state and they would be a big player in the media too. No democratic state would allow that conflict of interest unless the state wants to model itself on North Korea. Well, somebody earlier pointed out that in Sweden, which is a country we all would look at and say is is democracy at work and they have state funded, but it's the way it's controlled. I mean, that's, that's the way it's the oversight of it is what you would need if it's just coming from the uh, exchequer. Uh, Hi Patricia completely agree with Leo Varadkar people who haven't paid shouldn't be given an amnesty. It was so so unfair on people who have paid their TV licence. And then Michael listened with great interest to Thomas Schooled when I asked him on behalf of Jim one of our listeners if Sinn Féin got into power would they scrap the local property tax? Michael says well fair play to Sinn Féin if they're going to abolish the local property tax and now they're also talking about the TV, abolishing the TV uh, licence. For those listening to your programme this morning who are too young to remember back in the 70s, it was 1977. Fianna Fáil at the time abolished road tax on motor cars and they also abolished rates on houses. Uh, Michael says they did it as an election stunt and foolishly enough the electorate drank it in hook, line and sinker. But alas, to this day, we're paying dearly for that stupidity. Let's not Sinn Féin fool anyone with their supermarket offers of buy one, get one free. There's no such thing as a free dinner, says uh, Michael. Yeah. Well, yeah, and if everything comes out of central uh, funding, where does the central funding come from? But of course, Sinn Féin will back that up by saying that they were taxed the very wealthy and the millionaires in this country. Now, a slew of cause. I'm going to say a lot of people were really taken by uh, Patricia and Salem saying what a lovely lady she was and bless her heart hanging out the window talking to us on her mobile phone I was just more nervous that she'd have an accident uh, that she, or that she'd break the phone which seemingly she did earlier anyway and we're, we're pressing Vodafone like mad you know, to get her issue sorted out and people hoping and praying that it all gets sorted out sooner rather than later. Helen McCroom said very similar problem that Patricia Kinsale spoken to, spoke to us about and she was also with Kinsale. They contacted Helen in McCroom to say her price would increase on her existing contract but they were willing to offer her a new contract with higher speed broadband and it would be the very same price that she was paying. Great deal. So she went for that. She said a week later she was charged more than she was supposed to be and guess what? Her broadband was cut off. When she rang she was told, oh, well, you cancelled your broadband. And Helen said, I didn't cancel my broadband. She said she was back and forth with Vodafone's call centre. As Patricia Kinsale said, their call centre is in Egypt. She was also engaging with somebody on Facebook. In the end, Helen went into the Vodafone 
Vodafone shop in McCroom, who also had to get on to the call centre in uh, Egypt. But thankfully, they sorted it out. After this experience, though, Helen said never again. And once her contract was up, she went to another service pr- provider. Jur in Charleville said, with regards to Patricia Inconsale, no one is tied to a contract, particularly if the service doesn't work. Comrack would get involved. They'd sort it out for her. A contract only applies if the service is working. Well, I think Patricia doesn't have the time really for Comrack to get involved in this. She just needs her phone back because you could hear the anxiousness in her voice and it's causing anxiety because she doesn't have the uh, landline. And someone else says, Patricia, on Vodafone, we changed contracts too. Very same as what Patricia Kinsale was talking about. We went from one Vodafone contract to another Vodafone contract and our landline was also cut off. When we rang Vodafone, now they sorted it out very quickly and they were extremely pleasant. Apparently the cutting off in our case had something to do with the recalibration after our contract changed. Generally though, we go into the Carrigaline Vodafone shop where the staff are most, most helpful but I understand for for Patricia and Kinsale, this is not uh, feasible and actually the number of people that are pointing out that particular uh, solution by saying go in and deal with people if you're lucky enough to have whichever service provider you're with if you're lucky enough to have them in your hometown or close by to you to go in and talk to a person and we all love to do that. We all love to go face to face and have a human being that you can engage with because it can be so frustrating when you're on a call to a call centre that is thousands of miles away. Didn't realise they were using call centres in uh, Egypt only recently and I can't even think of who I was on to but I was on to a call centre in Mumbai in uh, India Uh, and again it was hard to understand. They were finding it hard to understand me. I was finding it hard to understand them and it just gets so, so uh, frustrating. Bring back the days of good customer service where you went in and you eyeballed somebody and they were able to sort you out 0818103103 Now can I go to a piece on drug awareness this was this is UCC they are having a drug awareness week it's actually underway this week and a number of talks uh, have taken place on campus right across the week Ida Wolf is chairperson of Students for Sensible Drug Policy and who was one of the organisers of this uh, this special week and she spoke with our reporter Steve Stephen Fox, who went along to find out more about UCC's drug awareness. It's gone really well, to be honest. It's been a little bit difficult to get a lot of students to attend things, but I think that's just the nature of hosting events on campus since COVID. But we've had some really successful events nonetheless. They've been really interesting. We had Nicole Ryan in on Tuesday to do Alex's Adventure Workshop, which was non-judgy educational workshop on different substances, harm reduction and things to look out for, potential synthetic drugs, stuff like that. And then yesterday we had Miles Balf in to talk about desistance from drug use, specifically with the case of Guns N' Roses. And we also had a movie screening in the evening. And today we've had the decriminalisation talk with James Windle and the reflections on the citizens assembly. It's been really good. Good reception from students. What's been your favourite? Am I allowed to pick favourites? <laughs> I really liked Alex's adventure workshop. Nicole has been in with us several times before and she she does a really good job of it. But I also really enjoyed James's talk just now about the Citizens' Assembly. It was very interesting and had a very interesting discussion afterwards. This hasn't been the first event I went to. Last night there was, I wouldn't say alcohol awareness meeting, but there was a meeting of some sort to speak to previous addicts and people who have gone down a similar way in life. And it was just the option of a first point of contact, which is a very important thing for students who don't want to be labelling things as they don't want to be, you know, full-blown, oh, I'm an addict, but... 
maybe seeing where those people were in the similar points of life, it was kind of an eye-opening thing to be like, oh, maybe I feel this way after this kind of thing. And I headed down that route, and it was really interesting as well. And what about the talk today? It was interesting to see it from an academic perspective, I think, just to see, obviously, they're doing the more empirical research compared to anecdotal experience. So it was more informative to see what they think will happen with upcoming decisions to be made and their personal feelings based on empirical evidence of what could happen as well. I definitely learned a lot. I think I kind of came into this with essentially like no knowledge of an academic's perspective, government's perspective, even just students hearing their thoughts was nice too. So I feel like I have kind of a good positive foundation. Yeah, and James like a really good speaker as well. I think the workshop was quite good. I attended and it was a very touching story. It was a nice balance of like the fun part where she talks about consuming drugs and how to be safe about it, but also telling the story of her brother where, you know, it reminds us that these things, you know, they could go really bad and like, we have to really be careful or there are bad consequences if we're not careful with our actions. The one today I thought was very good, very informative. A general talk about decriminalization. Learned a few things. I'm not very familiar with the Citizens' Assembly, but I hope that these discussions grow and more people have them so it's a bit more of a, a national discussion than just, you know, us students who are activists and trying to learn more, but more of a broader society. Well done to everybody involved in UCC and that drug awareness programme. And great to hear that uh, Nicola Ryan, the wonderful Nicola Ryan who, from Mill Street, who we've often spoken with on the programme, uh, she talks about she lost her gorgeous brother Alex, of course, to a synthetic uh, drug. And uh, great to hear she's doing the most amazing work. But also a lot of the students touching on the Citizens' Assembly report. By coincidence, the Minister of State, Hildegard Nocton, is today bringing a memo to the Cabinet. And this is seeking permission to establish a special Iraq committee. Now that Oireachtas committee would consider the Citizens' Assembly report on drug use. We know that the final report from the Citizens' Assembly on drug use was published last month. Now they, that included 36 recommendations among the measures was a call for the government to provide leadership and accountability at the highest political level to address the use of drugs in Ireland. We know we have a massive drug problem in this country and use of drugs is completely widespread and one of the things that the Citizens Assembly wanted was a dedicated cabinet committee which would be chaired by the Taoiseach. The report also recommends that the state pivots to a comprehensive health-led response to drug use rather than using the criminal justice system which is what currently happens. And the recommendations of course have significant implications on how the statutory, the community and the voluntary organisations and they work across the health and the criminal justice system, how they're organised, funded and coordinated. So it looks like there's going to be a move on all the recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly. As I say, that uh, memo to Cabinet is happening today. 0818 103 103. Hi Patricia, I pay my TV licence every year and guess how I do it? I buy four euro worth of TV stamps every week. You put them, you buy them in the post office and then at the end of the year you have your 160 euro. What would happen to those stamps if it was abolished, says Mary? What they'd have to give you They'll have to give you a refund and a discount on it uh, for sure. Uh, lots of people still on about Vodafone saying the best ways to go into the shop. The people working in the shop are great. Hi Patricia, here you talking about the child benefit is to be extended to all dependents under the age of 19. So basically what the government are doing is they're restoring the child benefit that they cut slash abolished in 2010 because it was always paid for, uh, for, for 18 year olds up to the age of 19. The C103 Cork Diary. 
Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See CorkCoco.ie. A reminder too, if you're in the Mallow area and you want help with reading, writing, spelling and numeracy, you can contact the Mallow Adult Learning Centre on 022 42642 or you can call into their office. They're on the top floor of the Mallow Parish Centre. Shambhalimore Bingo is on tonight, 8 o'clock. That's in Shambhalimore Community Centre. The jackpot there, 3,550. And Bantir Bingo is also on tonight, half eight start, and their jackpot is €300. Euro. And tomorrow, Wednesday, the 14th of February, is the final day to add your name to the list for, to the list for people interested in purchasing the Donnerail Memories book, which completely sold out before Christmas. This is your final call if you want to be included in the last print run. You can contact any committee member or call 087-685-3898. And Rahan Community Association, which was formed last year and incorporates the Text Alert Group, they're holding their AGM tomorrow, Wednesday at 8pm in Rahan School. Guest speakers are Community Garda John Fitzgerald and Dermot Cronin from Winton Tira, who will give a demonstration about the Corda app for phones and its benefits for everyone's personal use. They'll also give a chat on crime prevention in the community area and all are very welcome. Court Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie I've just spotted a text and kind of an add-on to our community uh, diary just to announce that social dancing has been transferred from Watergrass Hill uh, tomorrow to Rathpeakin Community Hall and that's obviously because of the uh, funeral of little Matthew uh, in Watergrass Hill. So social dancing not on a Watergrass Hill but it'll be on in Rathpeakin Community Hall instead uh, and, and our thoughts with all of little Matthew Healy's family. It's just so so heartbreaking ahead of their funeral that funeral uh, tomorrow. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, 0818103103 and uh, Michael's on. Uh, he, no, he got another one of those texts from um, Post but he said the wording on this one is slightly different. Would you just let people know uh, because these scam artists are great. They keep changing the wording. This one was on Post saying his package was at the depot and it couldn't be released because it was overseas charges that need to be paid and he's, Michael said look he knew straight away it was a scam because he wasn't expecting anything. He hadn't bought anything online but he said please make other people aware of it because the wording has changed and you could have somebody who is waiting on a package because more and more people are buying items online and are due to get a package in the post and they could get uh, caught out. Thank you for that Michael to 0862103103 and my thanks to Cork County Council who've been back to us and this was to do with an email that we received last week from one of our listeners and it was to do with an issue in the town of Kenturk right across from the health shop in Kenturk. This listener said there seems to be conflicting road signage by the council. Now they sent on a very clear photograph that clearly shows two parking spaces with the white lines painted outside the box, you know, which indicates that you can park there. But there's also in the parking space two double yellow lines. Uh, The listener says it might be an idea for the council to erase the white paint if they're changing the parking spaces. It can be confusing as and it is really not fair if somebody parked there and ended up getting a parking fine. So we sent on 
down a copy of the email and we sent down a copy of the photograph to Cork County Council to say, are you aware of this? Can you do something about it? And they're back with us uh, to say Cork County Council would like to confirm that the yellow road markings are indeed correct and therefore you can't park there. And they've also taken note of the need to remove the white lines. However, due to unforeseen circumstances, they say it was impossible to remove the white lines simultaneously as they were putting down the new yellow lines. Cork County Council aim to clarify this situation as soon as possible. They say the removal of the white lines will be carried out shortly. And Cork County Council very much take on board the comments from our listeners and understands the importance of maintaining clear and accurate road markings and they're committed to ensuring the highest standards of safety for all road uh, users. Uh, so thank you. They were very prompt in their response there as well. Now I did say at the time when I was calling out that email and I was looking at the photograph, um, you know you would want to be, anyone who would park anywhere near a double yellow uh, line uh, would be very, very silly of you. Double yellow lines are double yellow lines and you do not want to get a parking uh, ticket. A reminder to you more ways to win here starting on C103 from next Monday. Thousands of euro, I'm told, in free money up for grabs from next Monday. All you need to do is snap the app and I can already see some people have sent me on images to show they have downloaded the C103 app because that's what you need to do. You need to download the C103 app onto your phone and then snap a screenshot of it and then you've got to listen for your chance uh, to win but you're going to have to listen for us starting next week. We'll give you a shout out saying you now on WhatsApp need to send in a screenshot proving to us that you have downloaded the C103 uh, app. Then what happens is we'll call somebody back every day. Your name will go forward into a draw with Martina. Stay by your phone because then every afternoon Martina will ring, will ring one of the listeners who's qualified in all of the different programmes and that person will walk away with €500 Euro of free money. Money. Snap the app though, start downloading the app today and be ready to play because this competition is kicking in from next Monday the 19th of February. If you've already downloaded the app, you're fine. But this is for anyone who hasn't downloaded the C103 app, wherever you get your apps from, download it now. 0818 103 our lines are open. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. By the way, before we go to Joe, just spotted in the newswires that the Cabinet has been informed that the cost of the National Children's Hospital has increased by nearly half a billion euro. The update has come from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, this morning. While the final cost of the hospital is yet to be established, it now brings the over overall total to around 2 billion but it's increased by nearly 500 million euro and not a child has been admitted to that hospital uh, yet. What will the overall figure be? God only knows. Anyway, uh, let me turn our attention to Joe Heffernan who joins us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, And you're very welcome... what you just said there would remind you of the arena in Cork, couldn't it? Well, I was actually it was a piece I was going to do today, and I didn't get to it uh, oh. yet because they're they're looking they're looking for extra money for the Cork Events uh, yeah, Centre. Yeah. And actually, yesterday was the eighth anniversary of remember the famous photograph of the then Taoiseach Enda Kenny coming to Cork to turn the sod. That was eight <laughs> years ago yesterday, and they're looking for how, more. how long ago was it? Eight. 
eight oh years God, ago yeah. since they turned the sod and they've been talking about it before they turned the sod let's bear that in mind yeah, yeah. that's that's one we wonder will it ever be built anyway that's a discussion for another day yeah. we want yeah. to talk about yeah. adult uh, um, ADHD attention deficit deficit hyperactivity disorder and yes. when I knew we were going to be discussing this yesterday I was just looking up because I remember I'd heard a statistic about the number of people number of adults being diagnosed with ADHD thankfully it's probably well I will say thankfully uh, more adults are being diagnosed because a lot of people go through life not realising that they had ADHD and I know for many people uh, it comes uh, almost as a sense of disbelief but quickly followed by relief because it then a lot of things make sense to them and they say that in Ireland the average age of a diagnosis for an adult is 40 so people go through you know a lot of their life before they get this diagnosis yeah, and um, there can have been things happening in one's life that suddenly, um, you know, uh, are explained Makes sense. to the person, uh, him or herself. Yeah. Because, oh, so that's what that was all about. Now, uh, maybe I'm doing things a bit back to front because um, what, what we might talk about today, like, would be, um, you know... Things that happen in in an adult with ADHD and kind of warning signs. And next week we can do one of our questionnaires, you know. We'll say, I'm just um, off the top of my head saying, we'll say 30 questions and if you've got so many uh, yeses, well then maybe you need to get it checked out. But that's for next week. Um, The things that can happen in life um, for an adult with ADHD... And this would blend in very much with the with that kind of um, uh, test, if we'll call it that, next week. Okay. But, um, trouble getting organised, uh, chaotic. Um, you know, um, bills not getting paid, uh, forgotten jobs that need to be done, um, collecting children after um, whatever, um, uh, forgotten or um, an hour late or something like that. Um, uh, organizational problems, anyway. Yeah, kind um, of a, a chaotic life. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and yeah. Not, not deliberately. People mean to be organized, but they just can't get organized. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, um, for many a person, now, um, maybe the, the, the today and next week might explain a few things that were happening, and that the person might say, oh, gee, I better get that checked out. Maybe that's there. No, um, I mean, reckless driving um, can be another symptom well, because, well, the three main, let's, let's name the three main aspects of ADHD, and they are um, inattention, not paying attention, impulsivity, acting impulsively without uh, thinking about what's going to be said or done, and uh, in some cases, hyperactivity, which would be an inability to relax. Always jumpy, tense, undergo, um, never really relax. So those three would be the core um, uh, parts, if that's the right word, symptoms of um, ADHD. So that could lead to, to reckless driving. Or, or again, back to the first one, the organisation not being able to concentrate. And that could lead to you know, maybe being a bit reckless behind the wheel if you're not Absolutely. concentrating properly. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, and that whole chaotic scene can lead to troubles in a relationship. Um, 
Maybe a partner feels that he or she is not being listened to because the listening skills of a person with uh, ADHD would be down because there would be, you know, the the mind would be racing and uh, instead of hearing what's going on, they're in another place altogether in their minds. Um, so that, that, that could lead to... Um, you know, marital problems, like, you never listen to what I'm saying. And another thing could be, like, um, an inability um, to to keep promises, to honor commitments. Um, like, uh, a regular thing that would be held is, I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. And if that happens often enough, there can be a row. Yeah, yeah, and it could lead to a relationship or even a marriage breaking down. Because somebody wasn't aware what was causing it was actually my ADHD. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And when a person, when a, when a partner would understand that, well then, you know, um, that would explain things and help the person to, um, I, I suppose, to uh, to deal with, with, with those kind of problems with an understanding that the other person is not doing it out of badness, you know? Yeah. And then easily distractible, which which for living with somebody who is easily distractible, that can be tough going. Yeah, yeah. That um, uh, starting to do one thing, halfway through it, getting into another thing, um, uh, things that need your attention, like, as we say, paying a bill, um, answering a phone call, um, uh, dealing with the issue on the phone call, uh, emails uh, not being answered, um, uh, starting things and not finishing them, they, they would all be um, signs. Possibly. No, yeah. we can all do a lot of those things. And it doesn't mean that we're automatically ADHD sufferers. But uh, if we had enough of the, um, the things, like next week now when we have that list, um, well, then maybe it would be a good idea to check it out. Now, the big problem with that is that um, in the public sector, I think it's next door to, well, I won't say that. It's difficult uh, to get uh, an assessment and uh, to go privately then for an assessment. Um, in my own experience of um, maybe arranging uh, such um, you know, people I would have been talking with down through the years and and their feedback would be very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Can be up in the 700s, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Poor, uh, poor listening skills, that kind of ties in with, with when we were talking about the marital troubles, somebody just not having the ability uh, to be able to concentrate. But then there's, and then there's restlessness and somebody we're having just wouldn't be able to switch off and relax. Yeah, well, the, the third one, the... Um, the inattention and the impulsivity um, are kind of standard, but the hyperactive may or may not be there. But if it is there, it would mean that a person would have a lot of trouble simply relaxing. Um, a person would say, maybe to themselves, or it could be pointed out to them, that they can't relax um, uh, other people might um, describe a person as being um, uh, very edgy, um, uh, you know, they, they just can't 
relaxed. Yeah, and hyper. How often do we hear, we all, you'll know of somebody, exactly. God, he's, exactly. all, he's exactly. always hyper. He yeah. never seems to be able to uh, relax. Mm. And, then, and then that obviously ha- leads to trouble actually starting a task. Yeah, just the same as um, a child with ADHD um, might uh, be, you know, put off the homework, put off the homework, not get down to it, not do it. Um, adult, uh, adults with ADHD um, would often, as it were, um, you know, not start um, a task that, that, that requires a lot of attention. In other words, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of people would complain of um, procrastination, um, uh, constantly kind of putting off till tomorrow what should be done today, mm. and and it's finishing up that it mightn't be done at all until reminders are put in place. Now, that can, you know, that can lead to serious stuff in a person's life, like um, uh, workplace issues where. Where things are are not done, it can it can impact on friendships. That arrangements are made, and the person either turns up an hour late or doesn't turn up at all. Um, yeah, leaving so, leaving somebody down. In a actually, actually, I I didn't realise one of the one of the sort of the warning signs is lateness. Now we'll all jokingly have a family member or a friend who is always late. There there will always be, always be people like that. But for for but for somebody with ADHD, being on time can be a big issue. Absolutely, and I mean some people are notoriously late, uh, no matter what arrangement is made. They never, ever seem to turn up on time. Um, and, of course, that can be very annoying. If you're sitting in, a, say, a restaurant where you've arranged to meet somebody for a cup of coffee and a half an hour has gone by uh, since the time that was agreed uh, to meet, um, well, then that can be annoying. And um, people uh, with ADHD are so, so easily distracted. Like an example that I read about would be you know, um, people have left it fairly tight to make an arrangement, to make an appointment on time. But uh, halfway there, they decide, oh, gee, the car is very dirty. I'll get it washed. Or I'm a bit low on petrol. I'll get some. Um, and, you know, the time slips by and um, and then the person turns up an hour late having been distracted. Yeah, um, slitting from one thing to the other instead of concentrating on, on what they were doing. Um, angry outbursts. And this is somebody I think that anyone who has a child with ADHD will talk about, but it can be the same for adults. Absolutely, because you see, with the chaos, um, the person is on edge and um, uh, they feel that they have no control over their time, over their life, that everything is chaotic. And that can often lead to a very angry outburst. And then uh, that can lead to the other person uh, being feeling hard done by, even though the person with ADHD might be all over, gone, uh, uh, recovered from that outburst after two minutes. But the other person, it might last for the day. Yeah, and then the final one is prioritising issues. Yeah, yeah, having a to-do list and... um, you know, um, uh, say a person has a job to do with uh, with their work, um, uh, and uh, instead of getting down to it and doing 
what needs to be done, being distracted by A, B, C, D, looking up the phone, looking up the, 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 the news notifications, looking up this, looking up that, um, and uh, the time goes by, and, uh, and, and, and the person um, uh, does um, uh, many um, completely unimportant things. Meanwhile, the important thing is neglected. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I remember I was, I was speaking with somebody, I can't remember who it was, it was somebody on air um, last year, the year before, who was uh, diagnosed in, in his early 40s. And uh, the reason he was diagnosed was his son was uh, diagnosed and he said uh, you know it was his wife was saying you know I was suspicious of of ADHD in the child and they went along for testing and he said it was only when he went along for testing he said I started to sit there and realise everything my son was doing I did exactly the same thing as a child and then he realised he carried it on into adulthood because I did read that um, if, if somebody is diagnosed with ADHD as a child it persists into adulthood in about two thirds of people so about a third of children kind of grow out of it but for two thirds they don't and then it's for the people who never get the diagnosis they're, they're, they can be fumbling through life not realising that there's something wrong but they'll see something in their own children that will lead them to say that's me. I'm the very same because it Absolutely. does it does run in families. Yeah, yeah. And I think in that questionnaire that we're going to do next week, as far as I remember, I think one of the questions is: uh, Does a close relative uh, was a close relative um, diagnosed. diagnosed with ADHD? Mm. But as mm. as I say, for for anyone, and I I saw I read up in a research piece that was done by I think it was in the, the School of Psychology and University of Galway, and they were saying that while you know there was disbelief, but it was very quickly followed by relief when somebody got a diagnosis because of mm. course there are meds available and there is help available, and sometimes oh, yeah. sometimes people just realizing when they get a diagnosis, okay, that's that's what's wrong. Now I know I have an understanding, and then you can get the help that you uh, require. Absolutely. So so it isn't 100%. anything. It isn't anything to be frightened of. Okay, we will pick up on this again next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful week, Joe, and thank you for joining us. And the same. Good morning to you. Uh, good afternoon as it is. That is Joe Heflin. He runs a counselling practice in Boerbui. His number is 086-834-8145. So that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing and Stephen helping out on phones. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. And to the night, Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.